0: Welcome to the Startup Competitors Podcast, where we talk with early-stage entrepreneurs and to understand what information they use to inform product roadmap, strategy, and market differentiation. Want regular updates on moves your competitors are making? You can learn more at startupcompetitors.com.
1: Hey there. Today we're chatting with Carlos Sirius, who's the co-founder and CEO of Pernick Solutions. Carlos is located in Costa Rica. We talk a little bit about economic stability in Latin America and his mission there, how that ties into him building out a ridiculously cool apprentice program. We spend quite a bit of time on that. What his company does, helping startups build MVPs and bigger companies and startups Together, software development teams for web and mobile projects talk a little bit about the future of his company, where they're going. Just a wide ranging conversation, super fun. I have tons of respect for Carlos. Not very often you see people with his willingness to give, perspective, generosity. Just a great conversation. If you're thinking about building a product, you definitely need to listen to this. If you're in the middle of building a product, you need to listen to this. Just a great conversation. Hope you enjoy. You can find them at pernix solutions.com online. Thanks.
0: This episode is sponsored by Product Light. Product Light helps you separate the should build from the could build features to keep you on the right track. Get compelling insight from stakeholders and customers the same day you sign up. Visit productlight.com today for a free trial.
1: Welcome to the podcast. Today we're chatting with Carlos Sirius, who is the CEO and founder of Pernix Solutions. Carlos, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Why don't we start with a quick intro for Pernix Solutions? Why don't you tell everybody what you and the team do?
2: Pernix is a company based in Costa Rica. We are a boutique software outsourcing company that creates well crafted software for small and medium businesses, mainly in, in America, Latin America and North America.
1: And talk a little bit about types of projects, ideal client, give a little bit more about what would make you a good fit for a project.
2: So I believe we do three things exceptionally well. We extend and build development teams. We develop great web and mobile applications. And finally, we craft minimum value products for startups and entrepreneurs. Those are the things that we do exceptionally well, and we do them with a very talented pool of resources here in Costa Rica.
1: Paint a picture for somebody who's listening, kind of status of the company, how long you've been at it, how big is the team, number of clients, anything that can help provide some idea of where you guys are at on the journey. I'm
2: one of the co-founders of the company. We started the company back in 2009. When we started, I come from a family of teachers. My great-grandfather was a teacher. My grandfather was a teacher. My mom was a teacher. Unfortunately, I'm a terrible teacher myself. I learned that at a very young age, but I kind of like had that on my DNA. So when we started the company, we wanted to focus a lot on development and on growth. So actually, the mission of our company sounds kind of like a college or a technical school because our mission is to grow professionals that foster the economic and social stability of Latin America, which is a region that needs a lot of economic and social stability, by doing what we know what to do, which is crafting quality software. So that's kind of like our mission ever since the beginning. And, and ever since the beginning, we have been working on this apprenticeship program that I'll walk or talk a little bit about that. Throughout the years, we've grown mainly through apprenticeship. We take recent college graduates and we put them through an apprenticeship program that we have. And that's how we grow talent. We are about uh, 50 engineers right now. And we are uh, quite passionate about growing. We feel that we have a very stable base. Obviously, if you start growing only through the development of talent, well, at the beginning, you're going to be able to develop two, three people. And then throughout the years, well, you already have a good stable base, but it's about five people. And then those fives can only take another five apprentices and, and such and such, right? But now at 50, We believe that we are at a very good place where we can take 10, 20, or even more apprentices every year and keep growing our talent base so that we can address the needs of our current and future clients. Right now, we have about 12 clients. So we have our teams very spread throughout those clients. There's not a single client that holds more than 10% of the resources that we have available. So we're very spread throughout those clients. And the way that we have been growing throughout the years is mainly organically, right? Clients that work with us move on to another company and then they recommended us to that company and then we started growing there. And actually the growth outpaces our ability to develop the talent, unfortunately. But we believe that as time goes, we are going to be able to develop more and more of the talent that we need to address the needs of our future and foreign clients.
1: So why that mission? Why grow the economy and help create economic stability in Latin America? When you guys started in 2009, what drove you to select that as the mission? Back in 2009, I had my second kid with my wife and I started seeing
2: opening my eyes on my early 30s, to the social problems that the Latin American region has with all the um, drugs moving from the South to the consumers on the North, all the problems that we see in places like Honduras or Mexico, Ciudad Juarez, for example, and other places of Mexico. And I just don't want that neither for my country nor for my region. And unfortunately, the only way that we can address those problems, even immigration, right? That the immigrants that move from the South to the North, they're not moving there because they want it. They're moving there because they're kind of like forced to. So um, the only way that we can address those problems is if we start bringing economic stability to the region. If we bring more money into the region, if we create better and highly paid jobs, such as the one that you can find in software development. And then with that money, obviously you spend more on services and goods, and then you expand the employment base of that region. So that's basically why we decided to have that as part of our mission. And then the first important part of our mission, which is grow professionals. If we look at technology and software development, Unfortunately, it is our opinion that it is not a very professionalized industry. And the reason for that is that we need so much technology. We are so hungry as humankind for technology, for software, for new things that we can get enough of that. Right. There's a lot of of demand demand and not a lot of offer for talented people. So unfortunately, anyone that reads a book or learns something here or there, we go and offer them, you know, high paying salaries and we put them on important projects to develop important features for products. And then we wonder, why is it that things go wrong? If we look at other industries, for example, um, a JD out of Harvard, it's not going to go and represent anybody anywhere at the beginning. They're going to go and be a paralegal or an assistant of an experienced lawyer. A physician out of Stanford is not going to go and perform any surgery anytime soon. First, they kind to go through their program where they go a couple of years or three years at the hospital and they learn their craft. The same thing for engineers, the same thing for any other craft that I can think of with the exception of technology. We just get all the hands that we can and we just put them to do our
1: projects and products. And then we wonder why things go wrong. So when you put, thank you, by the way, that was an amazing answer. And I've heard you say a little bit of that before, which is one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on the show. I think that perspective is lost on many, not just in Latin America, but other places as well. And I just love the proactive nature you're taking with your business? Because to my knowledge, you are not in politics. You're doing this on your own. You're just flying your own flag.
2: Yeah, correct. And to be honest with you, we've seen change throughout these 10 years. I remember when when I joined the workforce at the beginning of the, or at the end of the last millennial. when I joined the workforce, I was hired by Intel here in Costa Rica. Intel has uh, software development facilities here in Costa Rica. And on 1999, I was hired as a junior developer there. And when I joined the company, you know, I remember, well, you know, my excitement. I'm just going to learn so much here. It's going to be a groundbreaking, you know, it's it's going to be this and that. And then I was thrown in front of a computer in a big cubicle in a place that had hundreds of other cubicles. And they told me, do your magic. And, you know, I'm just a recent college graduate. And I had no magic and I mess up a lot of things trying to learn. And I remember that I always thought on my early 20s, there's got to be a different way, right? There's got to be something different. This is not what I signed up for. You know, through experience, I learned that we really need to take junior people, recent college graduates, people that are learning and teach them how to be professionals. In this industry, it's the only way that we're going to be able to change things if we develop their talent. I remember that I used to look at ads, hiring people, and they always ask for, we need somebody with two years of experience, three years of experience. Yeah, obviously, right? Because the previous two years is uh, the time that they spend learning how to be professionals in this industry. But who's going to give them a shot if everybody expects them to have two years of experience? Where are they going to get that experience? So we are that type of place where um, people without experience get that experience. And I'm starting to see that change at other places. Intel here in Costa Rica, for example, now has a student internship program. And some other companies have copied some of what we
0: do. And we're very proud of that. Most founders start companies because they figured out a better way to solve a problem or serve a need. Not because they love tracking payroll, filling out compliance forms, and explaining employee benefits packages. And yet, all that stuff still has to be done. That's why there's Fullstack PEO. Fullstack PEO specializes in turnkey HR for emerging companies. Not just those core services, but advice and expertise that helps founders maximize employee potential. Curious?
1: Find more at fullstackpeo.com. Are you open to talking a little bit about how you've structured your apprenticeship program. I'd love to learn more about how it works. Well, absolutely. Absolutely. And I I love when I talk about this
2: and other companies implement something similar. Obviously, the idea of apprenticeship in software development is not new. We, in fact, got a lot of head start from Chicago-based companies. I made friends with uh, people in Chicago when we were starting as a company, and I learned from those apprenticeship programs that they had. There was a company called Optiva run by Kevin Taylor, which is a great friend of us. And we copy a lot of their apprenticeship program as well as as from the program of, of Aidlight. And then we did our, our deviations from that, mainly because the time of talent that we find in Costa Rica, in Latin America, in general, is talent that has been through formal training through formal technical training. So they know how to develop code. They know bits and bytes. They know about networks and project management and, and a lot of things. So they already have a pretty strong in, in and stable base. We here at Pernix mainly hire recent college graduates. So these are people that have been through college for four years developing software, doing scientific work and whatever. And then We grab them, we bring them to our office and we find projects from startups and entrepreneurs that are not funded. And we put our recent college graduates along with the help and the coaching and mentoring and sometimes the pairing of more experienced people from our office to develop these minimum valuable products for these startups and entrepreneurs that, since they are not funded, they wouldn't be able to afford this kind of service. Since what we're building is a minimum by-level product, is something that we can build in four to six weeks. So every four to six weeks, our practices are changing projects and they're learning from different domains. They're learning different technologies. And at some point, we made them accountable to tell us when they feel that they're ready, that they're ready to be a junior developer, a professional junior developer in this industry. They could be ready in four months. They could be ready in six months. It could take them 12 months, 18 months. But we made them accountable to tell us when they feel that they're ready to be productive in this industry.
1: Economically, how do you sustain that when I think of You know, so I'll make up numbers. You have five apprentices working for six to 12 months on projects for free. That is not an insignificant amount of burn for the company. How do you offset that or manage that with the rest of the team? Since that's that's what
2: we've been doing since our very beginning, I think luckily enough for us, we don't know how to live without that extra burden, if you will. (laughs) We have that already baked into our into our systems, into our cash flow. And now that we are a more mature company, we see that as the investment that we could be doing in staffing or the risks that we could be taking from hiring externally. When you hire externally, it's such a risk because the resume can hold whatever people put in there Their GitHub projects, their personal projects can hold whatever they put in there. But you don't know if that person is going to be a good fit for your organization, for your culture, or for the client itself. Whereas through our apprenticeship program, we know the people that finish that program, that want to become a junior developer in our company, we know that their mindset is on the right place that they have assimilated our culture. Our culture is obviously very collaborative, um, very, very based on coaching and mentoring. We expect them at some point to coach and mentor when they have more experience other apprentices. And it's also a culture that allows them to be part of the company for the long run. We have very low turnover, so we believe all those benefits offset the investment that we have to make to sustain the program. How do you
1: pick the startups you work with? We don't
2: pick them. We have some partnerships with um, third parties that are working with those startups and entrepreneurs. So they are already filtered when they come to us. They go to accelerator programs and those programs. They come to us and tell us, well, I have a great opportunity. Here's business. We have already reviewed their business plan, everything, but they're looking for a technical co founder just to get their product started. Sometimes I personally believe that's not quite what they should be doing, looking for a technical co founder to build the, the MVP. No, no, no. If you go to a software company and build your MVP, we are in a better position to build that faster and to get you out of the door faster so that you can go and validate your hypothesis in the market faster than having a lonely technical co-founder writing your minimum viable product.
1: I think I remember you mentioned, ideally, you're going to be working with that startup for four to six weeks and building and launching the minimum viable product. Talk a little bit about the process of how you scope it down to fit In four to six weeks, I've worked with a lot of founders. I know their idea of minimum viable product is often very different (laughs) than my idea of minimum viable product. So I'd be super interested in your experiences there in the process you and the team used to do that.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You're totally correct, right? Their definition of minimum viable product is their entire platform. But I think that we're blessed by the fact that we're not billing for it. We tell them how it is that we're using them as guinea pigs to train our people and they're using us as guinea pigs to build a product, right? So it is fixed. At six weeks, we're going to leave. Whatever you have is what you're going to have, no matter what. At the end of those six weeks, if you want to keep paying us, then we're going to build you for the world. So it's in your best interest that we scope this in a way that we can build it in three weeks. And in three weeks, because they're gonna have feedback, and we're gonna have a couple of loops of incorporating that feedback into the product, so that it will probably go all all up to that six weeks. That's how we do it. We basically tell them at the end of that six weeks, we're just gonna leave you with whatever we have been able to build. And the other nice thing that we get from this, that we have seen from experimented throughout the years, right? This is now how our program was born. Our program at the beginning was very, very different. At the beginning, we were basically teaching a technical class, something like that. And we didn't like it. But throughout the years, we changed it. And probably the last time that we changed our program was three, four years ago. So it has been very stable since because the main value that we get out of this is that our development workforce is being trained that they got to build these things fast, that they need to be ready. They need to be usable because at the end of the period, at the end of the six week period, the startup or the entrepreneurs might not have anything if you don't move with the agility and the flexibility that is needed for this type of projects. And then they take this mindset when they become junior developers, and when they start growing into the career path of a software engineer,
1: play that forward. So then, that early formative experience, when you're working with somebody seven, eight years later on your team, how does that manifest itself? What are the behaviors, characteristics that you see that you can still kind of see that early experience coming through and what they're doing or saying?
2: Usually, the type of um, feedback that we get from our clients is that they like how our people push them to a higher standard, how our people has the courage to challenge an idea and clearly communicate why it's being challenged. They like how we provide creative solutions to the problems that they're facing and how we defend the teams in situations where it's required and how we deliver a more realistic expectations and reliable forecasts. Because all of this experience that we get from building minimum value products, from knowing that if we don't do it right, that company in its early life might not make it. I think it has a profound impact on how all these behaviors that I just described are expressed five, six, seven years after that. And let me tell you a story. I'm not going to say who the client was, but we got a contract for a big client, one of the biggest clients in the streaming business. So we were all excited about working with them. We sent a team to New York, to the client offices to do the, the initial pass down of the project. We were building a Greenfield project. It was amazing, right? But then I had requests from the people that we sent to that project. They wanted to leave the project because... For this specific client, the way that they did things, it's that they do things through meetings, right? Through presentations, and they were spending more time talking about what they were going to do, what they were going to build, how it was going to look than actually building the product itself. And then I remember our team begging us to switch projects because even though it was a great client on paper, you know, one of those Cool, hip companies uh, for millennials and whatever you want to say, they did not feel productive because they were not building product. They were just talking about the product.
1: Love that example. So, how many startups do you think you've built MVPs for in that little four to six week window? Probably hundreds. And obviously, most of them do not
2: make it. Most of them come to us and then they just disappear. The good thing is that. Four or six years later, one of the people related to that startup comes up and says, well, I'm working here or I'm doing this. You know, can you guys help us? We'll pay you your rates. It works great. But we had had a few startups that do make it. The best case or business case that we have is from a Chicago-based company that we help them build first their MVP and then their entire platform. and. Three years later, they sold that platform for $350 million. And then we started to work with the company that bought that platform. And we're still working with that company nowadays. That's awesome.
1: That's a great story. What's the most impressive MVP you've seen in that timeboxed window where even you kind of looked at what the team did and you're like, wait, what? How did we do that? It's got to be this exact same platform.
2: Oh, really? It was a great product. He had a great team and it was a great startup to work with. And then when they formalized and they started growing as a company, it was great to work with them as well. And it's great to work with the company that bought them. But basically what we built for them, they wanted to revolutionize the security, physical security systems where usually you have an alarm and if it gets triggered in your home Then you get some kind of notification or somebody calls you, you know, uh, your alarm has been triggered. Do you know what's going on? But I have no idea what's going on, right? And I might be hundreds of miles away from my house, right? I got to start calling my neighbor or my mom or my dad to go and check. Same thing for senior citizens, right? If you have a senior citizen that has one of those alarms that they use as a necklace, if it gets triggered, well, What happened, right? No one knows. Somebody has to physically go and check on what's going on. So what we built was um, as soon as possible, everyone knows. So it was a platform that basically took in parallel and sent notifications through your preferred means. It could have been a phone call, a text message, a WhatsApp message or different means. Then all of the people on on a contact list Got the notification and then basically it opened a private chat. And then on that private chat, let's say my neighbor went to my house and sees that everything is okay, then it replies to the private channel and everyone gets notified as well, right? Everyone got notified of the initial event and everyone gets notified of the follow ups. So it was amazing. That's why they sold it for 350 million. I love it.
1: I know the answer to this because we've talked about this before, but it's probably worth saying out loud. Do you take equity in those startups that you're working with when they're working with your apprentices?
2: Excellent question. And the answer is no. We've seen it when we started doing this. We tried to do it and we saw a a little reluctancy, right? And a lot of paperwork and a lot of barriers towards building the product itself. And we felt it was not worth it neither for us nor for the startup or entrepreneur to go through that burden as soon as where they were in the process, because we take them very, very early in the process. And once again, we don't filter them. We get them filtered by accelerators, by investors, by somebody else. We do look at the plan, at the business plan and everything and the finances sometimes, but we don't have to. All of those things, have been looked by somebody else. But we saw a little bit of a barrier to actually do this fast. So we decided not to do it. Obviously, the thing that we get is that if they do make it, if they do go out with the MVP that we build and they validate their hypothesis and they see that there's a market for it and they get investment, the first place where we've always seen it that they come to continue develop features and develop their platform is us. So there have been numerous instances where they come back and we keep building and sometimes they just run out of money. They go down on there. There's a competitor that overpasses them and then the market opportunity is no longer there, which has happened a numerous amount of times, but at least they did got the investment and we tried it, but we were beat. <laughs> It's a race.
1: Right. From a product perspective, what are some of the most common mistakes you see early entrepreneurs or even product teams make when they're thinking about all of those risks that you just listed off?
2: No outside validation. I think that for me, for what I've seen, is that they just don't go out and validate their hypothesis. I've seen lots of startups and entrepreneurs that focuses a lot on the investment itself, right? On how to convince investors and they create all these marketing materials, all this finance work, and that's beautiful. But I don't see the same celerity on taking the MVP that we built and validating that with the market. I think they just focus a lot of their effort on the assumptions that their team has on how the market is going to react but not actually looking at how it reacts once they get their hands on a minimum valuable problem.
1: What are some of the best examples of when you've seen that level of validation done well? What were those teams or entrepreneurs doing that you could point to to say, yeah, we need everybody doing that or some version of that?
2: So I consistently see the startup or the entrepreneur not focusing on getting external money but focusing on validating and looking at the feedback of the market and tweaking or changing the MVP towards something that the market will be excited for. And then once that excitement is there, once they know how the market is going to react and their market share, now uh, then is when they start creating all the marketing materials and all the finance acumen to get external investors for the problem.
1: What's next for Pernix Solutions? Fast forward for me. You look five years, 10 years into the future. What's different?
2: Right now we're moving to an employee-owned company. So we are incorporating our employees as owners into the company and we're pretty excited about that. We just did all the paperwork that we needed to do late last year and early this year, and now we're incorporating the new co-owners. And we believe that by moving into an employee-owned company, we're going to be able to keep building long-term relationships with our clients and a lifetime relationship with our employees, driven by our mission to grow software professionals that foster the economic and social stability of the region by crafting quality software.
1: If people want to learn more about Pernix Solutions or if they want to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to do that?
2: It's uh, our website, pernix-solutions.com. And on LinkedIn, we are in pernix-solutions. And we have a company Facebook and an,
1: an Instagram
2: Facebook as well.
1: Awesome. Carlos, thank you so much for doing this, man. I love your mission. I love hearing you talk about developing talent I'm sure I could ask you startup stories all day long. Thanks so much for what you're doing, not just for your team, but for your country and for the region.
0: No, no. Thank you very much for the time and for the opportunity to share. Startup Competitors provides monthly handcrafted email updates on your top competitors. Keep up to date on new hires, marketing activities, events, awards, new product launches, pricing changes, funding, and a bunch more. Learn more at startupcompetitors.com.